you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. These next two weeks we're going to hear from Jesus two sequential readings, which has to do with the, well, it comes from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, this is the famous exposition of Jesus on the law in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. It's famous because, well, we like to do violence to what Jesus actually says there. We like to think that Jesus is giving us a beautiful sermon of instructions on how to be better and more enriched Christians. So, for example, the Beatitudes, blessed be the poor, blessed be the meek, the humble, etc. Jesus is telling you, be meek and humble. But it is actually preaching on God's holy law. And so we have a way of taking what God's law is and either making it more manageable by diminishing its severe demands or maybe twisting and turning the law into something more doable by adding additional commands at the neglect of others. But Jesus is warning us against such an approach to his word when he talks about the salt. For salt to be useful, it must remain salt. It can't be diluted or cut or mixed with other, say just with sand or something, it will no longer have its saltiness. Nor is there any way to make the salt something else other than salt. It must be used for what it's been given for. Otherwise, well, it fails to do its job. It's to season, as Jesus said. But if it loses that flavor, if it's been diminished, it no longer seasons. Or if, it, if it's no longer used, then the food remains unseasoned. This is his way of teaching you maybe through an object lesson that might seem a little vague or obtuse, that the law must remain whole and undefiled for it to actually be the law and to accomplish what he has sent it to do. He uses another picture, too. He uses that of the, of the light, right? The light that is on the lampstand, which lights the whole house, must not be put under a basket, because what good would that be? So it is that... Let your light so shine before men. The light that you've been given is the light of Christ, his words of law and gospel. That they may see your good works, that is, your repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what he's talking about. So, without the law being the law, well, then Christ would no longer be the Christ. If the law is diminished in any way, then so that it can, can be kept, well then, of course, why do you need Jesus if you can just do it yourself? Or if the law is avoided, then the question is, what did Christ come to save you from at all? Either the law remains whole and undefiled, and thus Christ and his vicarious work of dying for your sins remains whole and undefiled, or the law is diminished or ignored, then the purpose and work for which Christ came, well, no longer needed. 
So, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. That's Jesus' way of saying that the law must remain whole, must not be diminished or ignored, because the law testifies not only of him, but of our most desperate need for him to come, to stand in our place, to die our death, to suffer the punishment for our sins, that we would be set free and made alive, to live before God in righteousness, his righteousness and purity forever. So he says, not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. So we must not teach others to ignore the commandment or that they can be kept without Jesus or that they are ever kept without Jesus. More on that next week. But rather that we are to teach them in their full severity, not ignoring, not diminishing, not skipping over the ones we don't like or perhaps the ones that indict us either as preachers or as hearers. So think of the Ten Commandments, having no other gods, not having any other idols, nothing else that you trust and put your hope and your love and your fear in. Well, that one's already broken, so, but the rest, we can keep going, not cursing or swearing or lying or deceiving, even by God's name, right? but calling upon it in every trouble with prayer, praise and thanksgiving. Do we fail to hear his word gladly and learn it? Those are just the first three. And those are the ones that, well, are obviously the hardest to keep, impossible for us who are in sinful flesh. But we also diminish the rest. Well, you know, adultery is okay as long as it's not acted out in the body. It's just innocent looking with the eyes, for example. Again, more on that next week. That's why Jesus can say that the law must be taught Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Because if the law remains whole, then also the righteousness that the law demands is made whole. Made whole in Jesus, who gives his life for us, whose righteousness is bestowed on us in baptism, delivered to us. That way, actually, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, who had erected a whole new set of laws that maybe tangentially or related to God's holy law. Well, that is not any righteousness that would save. Or rather the righteousness of those who uh, have come up with other, excuse me, who think that they can keep the law, not even with all of the Pharisees and scribes, but maybe more like the Sadducees. No, neither of them have the righteousness that the law demands because they have done violence to God's word of law. And thus, they don't have the righteousness that saves. It's only when the law is full and complete, then our desperate need for salvation that can't come from ourselves, not one jot or tittle of it, rather, it all comes from Christ. This is not something that comes natural to us. The natural religion of man, as Paul talked about, the wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, or of nature even, is that... One can serve God, one can do what he says, follow his laws or his commands, and then he'll be pleased with us. And when he's pleased with us, then surely he will save us if we 
do, a, do our best. Say. That's the wisdom of nature. That's the wisdom of man. Corrupt man, sinful man, but still wisdom. But what Paul says is that the wisdom of God, well, it's something far deeper. It's a hidden wisdom. It's a wisdom that cannot be known by observation. It can't be known by searching one's heart. It can't even, it's, it's actually even past the desires of mankind. It has to be revealed to us like light. He says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, but God has revealed them to us through the Spirit. What God has ordained before the ages for our glory, that's hidden wisdom which God had ordained, none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they'd known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What is the wisdom of God that can only be revealed by God the Holy Spirit through the Word? Well, it's this. I did not come with excellent speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, who is our righteousness and our justification and our sanctification for us, given to us. It doesn't actually matter whether the speech from the pulpit is persuasive of, with human wisdom, but rather is it spoken truthfully according to God's word, not diminishing law, not failing to preach gospel. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, namely in Christ and him crucified. By his suffering and death, he has destroyed the power of death. By his resurrection, he's opened the gates of heaven to you. Proclaimed by God, revealed to you now in Jesus what has been hidden from before in, in the past ages. And it's only then in Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of your sins that you actually have the righteousness the law demands, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection that he has promised, eternal life. It's a mystery to be sure because it actually requires nothing on your part simply to be received in faith, faith worked by the Holy Spirit. It's so contrary to the natural religion of man that we don't even know what to do with it. Well, now what, Jesus? Now, are you going to give me more laws, more things to obey? And he says, no. The law has been fulfilled. You are free. You are forgiven. Live in the forgiveness of sins. Live daily in your baptism. Not under demand or compulsion, but by the Spirit who will work good works in you as he went, when and where he wills. But what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Receive, believe, trust. All worked in you again by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Received as a gift. So it is something beyond our comprehension that the law doesn't need to be diminished, nor does it need to be substituted, but it can remain whole and undefiled, so that Christ and him crucified alone is our righteousness, our sanctification, our justification, our forgiveness. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who may instruct him? And thanks be to God, now you have the mind of Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. 
If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.